Happy Columbus Day and welcome to another edition of the Ramp Check Podcast. I'm Tony. I'm Aaron. And good morning. I'm Ryan. And we have a special guest on the podcast. And um, I'm I'm going to try not to slaughter your name. Uh, Christian, is it Christian K-Nuts? No, wait, I'm, I'm sorry. We no. about that. <laughs> uh, I think we already went over that. That's close enough. <laughs> Uh, Christian, I, I'm sorry, and I didn't get your rank, uh, with the Air Force. I am a captain, uh, in the Air Force up here oh. at, uh, Hill Air Force Base with the Rams flying the F-35. All right. Abs, uh, that's awesome. So Christian, uh, Captain Christian Knutz of the United States Air Force. And since we're on the Ramp Check podcast, he just so call happens. Call sign kid. Call sign Don't kid. He uh, he yep. just so happens to be an F thirty five pilot. We've never had F thirty five pilots on here before, have we? <laughs> I think your old age is showing with your uh, memory lapse. There, I yeah, am totally kidding. F thirty five pilots are turning out to be our favorites because we're seeming to get a handful of them on our podcast. So, thank you. Well, our welcome. our community is growing every day. But thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're thrilled to have absolutely. you. So, um, of course, we've got a lot of questions uh, for you, as uh, as we do all of our guests. And um, uh, why don't we go ahead and just share your Instagram with everybody first, and then we'll get started, Christian. Sounds good. Cool. All right. And so, Christian, what is your Instagram? Yeah, go, go ahead. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought you were looking at it. No, go, go right ahead. <laughs> All right. Let me let me look it up here to make sure. It's it's Knut's K, uh, is the uh, is the tag on it. So yeah, it's K N U T H S K. Awesome. Yeah. Very awesome. cool. Yeah. I'm would... not as active on there as you guys are, but no. That's... Once in a while, I'll get a few pictures out. That's good. Yeah, th- there are some cool pictures. You it looks like you're. Uh, really outdoorsy and uh is is that your wife or girlfriend there that you guys are hiking let's see uh probably yeah so uh i'm married to lydia cool. okay. um, we got cool. married last year in september it's been just over a year so nice very nice and, and, yeah, I, look- and i just want to clarify that's lydia in the picture right <laughs> it is yeah <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> great. I, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm an idiot. I'm sorry. Um, but uh, I know when I saw this picture of you two from Oktoberfest, I'm like, wait, Oktoberfest? Oh, 2017. So yeah, back when you could actually enjoy Oktoberfest. So um, yeah, but, yeah, uh, that was back at that was back at Luke. So oh, oh yeah, God. yeah, that's where most uh, F-35 pilots train. So. So yeah. before we jump that far ahead, uh, kid, um, I'll just call you by your call sign. That's kind of my tradition. But um, yeah, um, let's. Uh, I always like to ask our guests, especially uh, you know pilots, uh, military pilots like yourself, how the aviation thing started for you. Was this something that you were 
basically born with. You've always looked up at the sky. You've always looked up when something flew over. Um, and uh, we like to get a little bit of background uh, about that. So uh, how did it all start? Well, it's a, uh, I don't know. There's a lot of factors that play into it, I think. But I certainly loved aviation from a pretty young age as a kid. I grew up uh, in Duluth, Minnesota, and there's a, an F-16 guard unit that was fairly close to my house. So I got to see them fly over quite a bit. Um, nice. Had some family members that uh, flew in general aviation and got a, got a plane ride or two with them. And maybe, I don't know, maybe I saw Top Gun at a very uh, impressionable age. <laughs> um, <Yeah. but laughs> for, for whatever reason, I was always pretty interested in it as a, as a young kid. Um, but never really considered it as a, uh, as a career uh, mm -hmm. or a profession, um, until I think, I mean, I was in college by the time I really kind of came back to it. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah. So initially I went to, uh, a college called St. Olaf college in Southern Minnesota, uh, which was a great place and it was a great school, but, um, I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was following my passion, uh, uh -huh. per se. Uh-huh. And I kind of did a little thought experiment where I told myself, if you could do any job in the world, like no matter how crazy, like what would it be? It's like, well, I would, I would love to be a pilot for the Air Force or a fighter pilot um, nice. specifically. And, you know, at first I was like, well, that's stupid. Like, yeah, it's really hard <laughs> to be a fighter pilot. Um, mm -hmm. But it was just one of those like earworms, you know, that kind of like gets in your mind. You just can't get rid of it. Um, yeah. Your, your, so, inner, your inner av geek was talking. It was, and I couldn't, I couldn't shut it up. Um, and so finally, yeah, there was sort of a friend of the family that flew um, F-16s at the guard unit up in Duluth. And I asked him, like, all right, theoretically, like, how would I go about, you know, doing this? Mm -hmm. um, and he said, well, you should just go to the academy, um, which also seemed really crazy. Because um, <laughs> I, had, I had applied to, like, I looked at going through ROTC, you know, or enlisting and then trying to go from enlisted uh, to officer and go that uh -huh. route. And, this guy was an academy grad, so of course he was he was probably biased and told me I should look into the academy. <laughs> um, and so I, I jumped through all the hoops to apply to the academy as sort of as a, a freshman <clears throat> and a sophomore at St. Olaf. Um, and it was kind of nice because I was like, well, this is a real long shot. So <clears throat> here's what's going to happen. I'm going to put in all this work and I'm not going to get in. And then I'll be like, well, at least I tried. And then I can just like move on with my life. <clears throat> you know, and then I got I got the the letter that said I got in. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> you know <laughs> you know because now i've you know put in all this effort you know like well this is like this is pretty intimidating opportunity but you know i you know wouldn't have a hair on my ass if i didn't say i would try and go so yeah. that would all become real <laughs> so after two years in college I, I ended up transferring to the academy and they don't just bring you in at whatever year you were you, you start over as a as a dually or a freshman i was gonna ask so that I'd, yeah Wow. So I did, I did the, the six year plan, uh, through college, you know, <laughs> call myself the super duper senior there by the time yeah. I finally graduated <laughs> um, <laughs> and was lucky enough to get a, to get a pilot slot, uh, out of the Academy. Um, and even at that point, like I wasn't really like yeah. dead set on being a fighter pilot. Like, yeah. I was just like, you know, I just want to fly, you know, and I know that uh -huh. there's a lot of like really great, uh, jobs out there in the aviation community for the air force. And I didn't want to pigeonhole myself too much. Um, um, but kind of went from there and I went to pilot training at Shepard, uh, down in Wichita Falls. Okay. Um, and feel free to dig into any of these phases yeah, of no, my it, life it, more no. deeply, but I'm just giving like the, yeah. you know, the 
30,000 yeah. foot look. Yeah. At, uh, did, did you, uh, obviously, uh, you know, once you fly, you know, a little piston engine, whatever, and then you go, did you go to the T6 and then the T38? Because I was looking on your Instagram and it looks like there's a, there's a photo of some, some T38 action. I don't see any mm-hmm. T6 on there, but uh, how, so how did that go from that transition? And when did you know, like you were going into the T38? Um, so first in, of all, I'll start, I'll start of like, over there instead start of like the beginning, the T1. Um, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so first I was like, well, before I try to do this pilot thing, I should see if I actually like flying, mm-hmm. you know, cause I hadn't done it, you know, outside of like a commercial flight in a long time. So I, you know, <laughs> went out and got an instructor and like, um, learned to fly a Cessna 152. I never even got my, my private pilot's license before going to the Academy. It turned out initially I was really bad at flying because <laughs> flying is hard. You know, it was like, wow, this is actually like kind of tough <laughs> flying a little airplane around. It was yeah. you know, kind of a, yeah. Uh, I mean, but I did enjoy it. And I think uh-huh. that's what counted. And I was like, well, at least I like it. You know? Yeah. I may not be God's gift to aviation yet, but <laughs> <laughs> still not, but we're, we're working on it. Um, so that was kind of like the, the first, like, I got to at least give this a try before I like go all out on this. Yeah. Thing. But, yeah. Um, I was, I flew, um, I actually flew gliders at the academy. Um, and I was a instructor in the gliders there. And what that kind of got me, oh, there's cool. a lot of intangibles that it kind of got me for, for helping me through pilot training, but it meant that I kind of went straight to the T six um, and didn't have to do what they call uh, initial flight screening or initial flight training uh, oh. down in Pueblo where they fly the little uh, diamond I think yeah. it's a or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to do that. Um, and so I, I ended up going straight to the T six um, in pilot training. And then the neat thing about Shepard is that's where they do, Euro NATO joint jet pilot training or NGIPT. Um, mm-hmm. and there everybody goes from the T six to the T 38. Um, cool. and there's a lot of partner nice. nations, obviously from NATO that fly there. So that was a, a cool aspect of the experience, but it was kind of, it's at its inception, it was meant to produce fighter pilots. Mm-hmm. Um, nowadays it's, it's sort of still the case. Like they still try to instill the sort of the cultural aspects of being a fighter pilot in the students, but you still can track to any airplane, uh, in the inventory, uh, aside from helicopters yeah, um, or Ospreys, but actually I think people do, you can go to Ospreys from Egypt now, but yeah. So it was still, we knew we were all going to T-38s, which was nice because we didn't really have to compete, uh, the same way that guys at other bases do to find out if they're going T-1s or T-38s, uh, whichever they want to go into. Mm-hmm. So we all knew we were going to fly fast jets at some point, even if it was just <laughs> yeah. T-38. <laughs> um, which really was intimidating to think about because, you know, you show up and you'd see them fly over and I'm sure you guys have seen them fly. And oh, they're, yeah. They're fast. Yeah. You know, they got little, yeah. stubby, little stubby wings, so to stay in the air, they, gotta, <laughs> they really got to haul the mail. A little, little uh, different than the uh, glider flying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Quite yeah. different. For me, for me, the T6 felt fast, you know, and you, yeah, it's like seriously. whenever you start flying a new, you know, you go to each level, you know, whether it's the T6 or the T38 or, or to fighters, um, it's always completely overwhelming the first time you do it. And you're like, how could I ever be good at this? this <laughs> yeah. Um, but you just kind of chip away at it, usually by being completely overwhelmed for weeks at a time. And eventually mm-hmm. you start to kind of, you just absorb enough experience and knowledge and, your brain just starts to kind of function at the speed of the airplane, if you will. Yeah. And so yeah. you start to feel less, you know, behind the airplane, uh, if you will. So I, I would imagine that the wingspan of the glider is probably greater than the length of the T-38. <laughs> is that probably 
accurate? I'd have to look it up, but I think you're probably right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, uh, Christian, before we uh, before we continue. Uh, kind of on your on your path that brought you to the F-35. I wanted to, um, we've got a lot of listeners um, at that kind of young and impressionable age. I mean, we've got a lot of listeners of every age group, but but we constantly, when we go out to, when we go to air shows, when we go to Red Flag or other events like that, we always meet a lot of, of, of kids at that, you know, 15 to 18 year old range that that want to fly jets and they're thinking about maybe doing the academy they're doing you know the the enlisted route Mm -hmm. like you said so um i actually have two questions related to that because i think this could be very useful to uh to some of our listeners um now when you when you were talking about you were trying to decide um, what route you wanted to go because you'd already had a couple of years of college before you decided mm-hmm. that, you know, Hey, however crazy this might be, it's probably doable. Um, the enlisted route. Now I, I was enlisted in the air force. I spent seven years, um, in active duty and the air national guard. Um, mm-hmm. but I've heard that the, is the enlisted route probably the most difficult? And when I say the enlisted route, going in enlisted and then working your way up into the officer ranks and then eventually being a pilot. Is that is that like the the longest, I don't want to say hardest, but maybe the most like challenging route to do that? Yeah. You know, having not done it, I don't know for sure, but I would say it would be probably more challenging than going the more conventional routes. But that being said, mm-hmm. like I know fighter pilots that have come from every commissioning source. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to the Academy with a couple of guys that were prior enlisted um, that went that route to get their commission. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them are flying fighters today as well. However, okay. you know, their road is a lot longer uh, than most of ours. And I, I don't really mm-hmm. know what the numbers are in terms of how difficult it is, you know, either to, um, you know, fight to like go to college with a ROTC um, mm-hmm. route versus going to the academy. But I know they're they're possible, and I know it is mm-hmm. uh, something that's. It seems like it's advertised at least at some level among young airmen is like this mm-hmm. is a this is an opportunity for you. But mm-hmm. I don't really know how much it's sold to guys. You know, if it's like a right. this is a good opportunity for you, or if you know yeah. they just if they're more inclined to kind of keep guys there on the enlisted side just right. to kind of keep them on their on their well, team, guess- so to speak. I guess that makes sense because the Air Force, uh, and, and I'm, I'm imagining other branches of the military, but hey, this is an aviation podcast, so hell. Um, but the Air Force, they do have uh, lots of resources, though, if you do go the enlisted route to help you get your degree. I mean, there's there's financial, there's, there's lots of different opportunities. So um, the other thing then, as you said, uh, all the hoops to... Uh, you went through all the hoops and put your application in for the academy. So back when I was young and somebody had talked to me about maybe that as being a possible route, you know, I mean, obviously you had to have great grades, but then you had to have like an endorsement from, uh, uh, you know, a politician, like a congressman or a senator. So what, what type of hoops did you have to go through when you applied to the academy? Um, so I think the most intimidating one when you look at it at first is like, oh man, you have to have like a senator or a congressman like give you a nomination. Like, 
I don't know any senators. Like, how is that <laughs> yeah. going to happen? Um, and I don't know if this is still the case, but you know, they, they kind of told me like, Hey, if you're like, if you're good enough, like they will kind of maybe not work with you, but they will find a way to get you a nomination. Not to say that it's just a formality. Um, but there, I think there are relatively few people that, you know, were truly like rock stars, you know, that like, Oh, this guy's going to do great at the Academy. You know, mm -hmm. they didn't find a way to get some sort of nomination. Um, from that side, it just kind of seems very intimidating when you hear about it at first. And it is definitely kind of a pain because, you know, I ended up doing three or four sets of interviews because, you know, each senator has, you know, their process where you like send them an application and then, you know, they have their uh, interviews that they'll let you sign up for and come and you'll interview with people from their staff. And mm -hmm. I never actually met any senators, but yeah, um, of course they have people on their staff that kind of do those interviews and kind of rank everybody. Um, so I guess that was kind of like the most time consuming, you know, it's, it's something you kind of mm -hmm. have to plan ahead for and be like, well, you got to follow the timeline. So you make sure you get everything done on time. And mm -hmm. so it felt like doing three or four separate applications, you know, for the Academy instead of just the one. So I, I think it was more just, it's, it's kind of intimidating to look at, but, um, it wasn't all that bad looking back on it. Mm -hmm. um, and the one funny enough, the one I ended up getting my, uh, nomination through my local uh, congressional representative and he didn't even do interviews. And I don't know if that's because there weren't enough people applying in my district. So maybe I was the only one, I don't know, mm -hmm. but um, it was just kind of funny how that worked out. But <laughs> I think more um, to me, it seemed more like um, they seemed more intimidating <clears throat> than the actual thing was when it came down to it. And yeah. you worked with a, with a um, can't remember what they call it, an Academy liaison officer in ALO. Um, and so you have to work with basically an academy grad who's a current officer in the Air Force who kind mm -hmm. of does another interview with you and kind of gets to know you and kind of guides you through the process. And the way he kind of explained it to me is like he would, you know, they would figure out, the academy would figure out a way to get the people that they wanted um, and kind of work through. Yeah. Uh, that oh, that's cool. So, so an ALO would be like a career counselor at a college or something like that? Kind of, yeah. It seems like your your guidance counselor, but, you know, for the academy. Um, gotcha. Okay. And it's not necessarily cool. a career field. It's usually a, a guy that kind of volunteers for it. Um, that's stationed in the, in that state somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, okay. I don't know too much about that job, but I just remember that was part of the process. Um, and I think what helped me in terms of getting in is like, I was not necessarily like a rock star in high school and uh -huh. I don't know if I would have been good enough to like get in out of high school. Um, mm -hmm. but I had worked hard in, in college and gotten decent grades there. And so I think that kind of helps. They're like, well, this guy's already, you know, he hasn't filled out of college yet. So we're, you know, we're pretty, <laughs> sure, we're pretty sure he can handle like the academic load at least. Yeah. Um, and for a lot of people, that's the highest threat at the academy is you're so busy and you're taking a lot of classes. And I think academics ends up kind of being the, the highest threat for guys, you know, not making it through the academy. Uh, it's oh, not kept, okay. keeping their grades up. Interesting. Um, Jeez, I, I, knew, I knew nothing about that process. Wow. Yeah. And so it's a, uh, I was, I'm, I don't know if I would advertise my, uh, my career progression through college in the Academy is like the best way to do it per se, but uh, at least it worked for me. And I guess I'll kind of uh, yeah. leave it at that. Um, yeah, and that's, but that's the other side was, you know, for guys that are looking at applying to the Academy, it's like, it is kind of an intimidating process and you'll, there's no, uh, I guess I would kind of encourage guys that, it can be worth it. And it's really not, it's usually not as bad as you yeah. think it is. Yeah. It's all, it's almost like they're kind of grooming you from, you know, the beginning 
you know, you're going to go through so many different processes like this. And, uh, you know, just to see how people react, you know, damn, I need to go get an endorsement from a government official and I need to, you know, do this and this. So, yeah, it just sounds like they're they're kind of weeding out who's actually going to do the work and uh, take it seriously versus the others, you know. Yeah. And some of the people that are just crazy enough to be like, yeah, I bet a senator would want to send me to the school, you know, (laughs) (laughs) or that's overconfidence or. Yeah. Well, I I like that that you mentioned um about, you know, your particular story. Um I mean, you know, I didn't take high school seriously at all. And I know there's a lot of people out there that probably didn't. And so when you hear you know, basic information about the academy, well, I didn't have the grades in high school, so I guess I'll do something else. So to know that you can actually go and maybe quote unquote get your shit together in college and then apply. I uh, see. I had no idea that was even an option. So that's that's good for our listeners to know as well. Yeah, I mean, and it's 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 too easy to kind of count yourself out if you find yourself kind of sitting outside of the uh, the traditional or the the straightforward like normal um, mm-hmm. way to do things. Um, and fortunately, in my case, I had some people that I was able to talk to and ask and kind of encouraged me to say like, Hey, no, like you can still do this. Like, just cause you're not like the average applicant. Um, mm-hmm. and that's not to say that And part of the reason that I did apply to the Academy is my college didn't have an ROTC program. Okay. Um, and I think, you know, for a lot of guys when they're thinking about this and maybe they're already in college and, or, um, they're not sure if the Academy is right for them, you know, ROTC mm-hmm. is a, is a great route to go. And it's, mm-hmm. uh, certainly a viable option and it gives you kind of the bonus of having the, the quote unquote, uh, normal college experience uh, at the same time, if you find that's mm-hmm. more up your alley. Mm-hmm. Well, and, nice. and one last thing I wanted to mention too, when we talked about the enlisted route, uh, Aaron, correct me if I'm wrong, but our friend Chris uh, on Instagram, dope767driver, he went the enlisted route and mm-hmm. became a pilot that way, correct? Well, uh, Chris didn't fly in the Air Force. He, did, he didn't fly until oh, that's he got right. out. He was a crew chief on Strike Eagles in the Air Force. So he was enlisted throughout his entire yeah. career and then afterwards. Okay, that's right. Now yeah, it's all coming back to me. Yeah, yeah, I'm old. So um <laughs> cool. Ryan, you had a Ryan, you had a question about gliders. So should we go back to gliders real quick? Yeah, yeah. I know that sounds funny. I had a question about the gliders, but um, you know, it's interesting. We've had a lot of uh pilots on our podcast and this is the first time i remember like a glider being mentioned i my question was just is this is this something that's normal when you like go through the academy do most do most pilots like start with this kind of thing and is it just so they can kind of get a feel for like um you know what pilots would need to do without like a power source on the aircraft or a power plant or just just what the I'm just curious about that because it's, it's the first time I've heard it. So yeah, so the the academy has a small airfield on the campus. Uh, if you guys have seen that or, or heard of that, and um, mm-hmm. that airfield kind of exists to like serve as a way to expose cadets to aviation um, as mm-hmm. they're you know thinking about whether or not they want to pursue being a pilot in the Air Force you know, or think about other career fields. And there's a couple different programs down there. Uh, the glider program is one of them. Um, they have a fairly large fleet of pretty nice gliders. Um, 
And the cool part about that program and some of the other programs as well that I'll get to here in a second is that there's a, a short kind of exposure course that you can take as like a freshman or a sophomore um, and basically get up to the point where you solo in a glider. Mm. And I don't know if it's just less expensive, you know, than the powered flight uh, side of things mm -hmm. or it's, it's been around for a while though. Mm -hmm. um, but the cool part is after that, you're, you're able to apply and, and become an instructor in the glider. And as an instructor, as a cadet instructor, you basically teach other cadets through that basic exposure program, as well as teach uh, future cadet instructors uh, that are coming through that are younger than you uh, in, in your later years at the academy. Um, and that's really cool because it kind of first gets you that initial exposure program where you're able to solo the glider, you're able to get some you know air under you and kind of see if that's for you. Then it also kind of like teaches kind of the airmanship and gives you the experience of not only understanding flying the gliders, but teaching others uh, how to do it too. And I think that does a lot for, for guys kind of like maturity from an airmanship standpoint. And mm -hmm. I know it helped oh, me a lot too uh, when it came time to go to pilot training. Um, yeah. Even though, you know, the, the physical, like the stick and rudder wasn't the same, you know, the, the principles weren't necessarily the same, you know, in a powered aircraft going much faster than a glider, but. Mm -hmm. At least I had the experience of being like, you know, no, I can, I can do this. I can, I can get better and I can eventually get to the point where I'm comfortable teaching someone else, you know, or flying by myself or, or whatever it may mm -hmm. be. Well, um, talk the about other... it. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was about to move on. Uh, to oh, the... no, I was just going to say, talk about, talk about having a solid foundation on airmanship. There's no other way to teach that I would think than in a glider because. Yeah, really. You know, it's it's just you and the wind, and that's it. And you've got yeah. to figure out how to how to stay aloft. And mm -hmm. so I, yeah, you know, I go ahead, Ray. Oh, I was just gonna say, yeah, I think, uh, and that's why I was kind of interested by uh, the whole thing because I do think that's a great way to, uh, you know, I don't want to use the term weed out because that sounds bad, but you know, there might be some guys I would imagine that do that and they're like yeah screw this i'm not i'm not cut out for this you know but uh you know there's no go rounds in a glider you know there's no power up and um yep. so that that's why i was so interested in it because it's the first time i've heard of it but yet after you explained it it, it kind of makes perfect sense as to why they would do that so mm -hmm. yeah so it, it, very um, interesting. i'm still a little bit of a glider nerd at heart um, yeah. cool. and, and so we could talk for hours about, about the, the soaring, uh, program there at the Academy. Um, but yeah, some yeah, of the yeah. most, some of the most like, uh, meaningful experiences for me, uh -huh. um, were when guys would come in and they were kind of signed up for the program as kind of like either, not that it wasn't their choice, but they're kind of like, yeah, I guess I'll do it. And they weren't necessarily that into it. And they're like, yeah, do you want to be a pilot? And they're like, no, not really. But I thought, you know, maybe I'll just try this glider thing out and see how it goes. And, after a few flights with them, you know, they start, they realize like, Hey, this is actually really fun. You know, I can, mm -hmm. I can do this. And you kind of see that after being exposed to aviation there at the airfield, they kind of like maybe rethought their, um, their career choices. And maybe after thinking they wouldn't be a pilot, uh, pursued that, you know, as a career and hopefully it ended up working out for them, but just kind of like seeing that, like instilling like the same excitement for aviation that I'd had since a young kid. Uh, and someone that really hadn't, you know, ever been around it before being at the academy was was super rewarding. Um, so sometimes it functioned less as a weed out, you know, or I'm sure some people did it and were like, nope, not for me. <laughs> yeah, but, right. And the cool part was the guys that really necessarily weren't that interested in flying. Um, 
but became interested after after doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that cool. was one of the coolest yeah. parts for me. I I, rem- I remember uh, uh, when we went down to Nellis Air Force Base and covered uh, Aviation Nation 2019, and mm-hmm. uh, they had a really cool Air Force uh, glider demonstration that they did uh, both days we were there. Yeah, it was the I, academy I, team, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was, uh, and it, it was really cool. Those things are actually pretty maneuverable. They you are. Really, uh, you don't really realize until you see a demo. Yeah, I think those gliders can pull up to about seven Gs or so, oh, which wow. is pretty impressive considering yeah, the the wingspan on them. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there, <laughs> once you are an instructor in the gliders, there's a couple other opportunities. There's two uh, competition teams, and one of them is the is the uh, aerobatic team, and they go out and do competitions and air shows and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Um, and that's a really cool, really cool opportunity for guys. They usually pick, um, at least when I was there, is usually like four to five people per year. Um, out of the I'm trying to remember how many per class it seemed like when i was there there was about like 40 to 50 guys that would end up becoming instructors mm-hmm. um, and then out of that they would pick usually around five guys for the for the aerobatic team and the second team was the they called the sailplane racing team and i was lucky <laughs> enough to get picked up for for that team um, and so that was nice. my experience. These were learning Just, so much on this episode. I, I didn't know, know there was such thing as a as a glider racing team. Wow. Yeah. Right? So, <laughs> so believe it or not, there's like a pretty there's a pretty healthy community of you know sailplane racing enthusiasts out there, and a lot of oh, them wow. are, are old retired Air Force pilots. Um, oh. But the idea is you would go up and find thermals and and stay airborne for as long as possible and sort of fly a, a course, you know. Yeah, you know, you know, twenty five, fifty, hundred miles, um, and try to basically fly as far as you could, as fast as you could, using the thermals you're able to find. That's usually cool. usually on hot summer days in the, in the southwest. Mm-hmm. And so that was sort of the, one of the biggest maturity kind of generators for me, because um, after only flying a glider for a year or two, you know, I end up I ended up flying a couple five and a half, six hour flights alone in a glider uh, oh, through that wow. through that program, which was definitely eye-opening from uh both getting the experience and you know realizing that you know to a certain extent you have to be kind of self-reliant you know in the airplane by yourself which definitely paid dividends later on Uh, have you done have you done any sailing or flown any gliders uh since you've arrived in utah or are you only allowed to fly military jets while you're in the service uh i certainly could uh i think if i wanted to uh however Uh I haven't, you know, sadly I've, I've done much less general aviation flying, uh, since going through pilot training than I would have liked. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, well, but, when you can strap a jet with 43,000 pounds of thrust on your ass, why would you want to go general <laughs> aviation right now? You know, this is a I'm different talking, type of flying, you know, I'm talking about gliders. Jeez. I know, I know. I have to throw that in there. I know. Hey, who yeah, knew we, I? Who, who knew that uh, we'd be talking about, you know, gliders? I mean, no, you know, it's it's, it's fact, it, it is fascinating. It I is. Mean, you know, here cool, we are. Yeah. We haven't even talked about F-35s yet. I you know. know. You guys didn't know what you're getting into. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you probably don't do much gliding in a T-38 or an F-35. <laughs> if we are gliding, things have gone terribly wrong. Yeah. <laughs> right? <really. laughs> <laughs> oh, my. But yeah, uh, and not not to sell the other programs short because they have yeah, the other two programs. Yeah. There's a there's a powered flight program that does a very similar thing where guys are able to fly um, like powered single engine. I think they had a few Cirruses out there, 
uh, when I was there. And then there's also a competition team for guys that um, have their private pilot's license and they go out and do basically precision uh, flying at competitions around the U.S. against some other schools that have similar similar uh, teams. And then there's also the jump program. And I, I'm sure you guys have seen the Wings of Blue. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Where, you know, they'll yeah. jump into football games and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's similar yeah. in that they end up being the guys that are picked up for that team end up teaching guys in the jump program. So they teach other cadets how to jump out of airplanes and there's no tandem jump. So the first time they teach somebody, they're jumping out of an airplane by themselves, oh, you know? Oh, wow. yeah. And so that's, that's another, you know, really cool opportunity that I had a couple of friends go through and they really enjoyed it as well. So, so the airfield in general, I think it, in my biased opinion was the best part about the Academy. Uh, oh, okay. Interesting. Nice. So do you think yeah. in, at future, at future air shows, we're going to be able to see the Air Force Academy Cessna 152 demo team? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's coming down the pipe if they're going to, you know, if we get some, if we get some budget cuts in the future, you know, maybe the Thunderbirds yeah. will be fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd, like, I'd like to see a knife edge pass in a 152. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, you live by the West Jordan uh, Airport number two, Ryan. I'm sure you've seen plenty of them that were probably unintentional. So that's <laughs> true, very true. That is funny. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. So let let's uh, let's, let's continue. I get, yeah, let's continue. Let's let's circle back then to uh, so then T uh, sixes and then T thirty eights. And what was your experience like? Um, transitioning from the T6 to the T38 and give us the story of the first time that you did you break the sound barrier in uh in the T38 I did it wasn't uh it's not something we did very often um, uh-huh. the, the T38 as you might know is pretty thrust efficient yeah um so it's very fast mm-hmm. um but if you get into a bad spot in it you know it's got some pretty old kind of small engines on it and there's mm-hmm. not always enough power you know to get you out of those bad situations so it was a really mm-hmm. interesting aircraft to fly both because it was ancient um most of the tails we flew you know were from the they were built in the 1960s and had yeah. you know, twenty thousand airframe hours on them oh geez yeah um, and i remember the first time i got in a t-38 um and it was kind of one of those feelings where like reality isn't quite the same as what you imagine it would be mm-hmm. and i kind of got in i was like is this it? Like, it feels like I'm in a go-kart. Um, <laughs> and you know, it's, yeah. we're, taxi- we're taxiing you know, down the runway and the whole, you know, it doesn't taxi quite straight and you have the canopy open and it's kind of like rattling back and forth and swaying around. It doesn't like instill, you know, it's not, it doesn't feel sturdy, you know, it doesn't uh-huh. instill a whole lot of confidence initially. And you're sitting in the front seat and trying to do all the things you practice in the sim. And it's like, it's, it's pretty overwhelming. And the first time you push up the push up the throttles and you realize that you're almost immediately going faster than you ever went uh, in the mm-hmm. T six. Mm-hmm. And I was immediately behind the airplane. You know, wow. like you're covering miles much faster than you're used to. And so you're having to run through your checklists and fly your procedures, you know, that much faster. And that was like a big mental shift, but it was such a it felt like your whole perspective changed, you know, you're thinking yeah. not just in terms of miles, but now tens of miles sort of as your your immediate outlook. You know, you gotta be thinking pretty far ahead of yourself. Um and it ended up being a, a very fun airplane to fly, especially the way they taught us to fly it. Um but just going from kind of the T six, which felt like flying, you know, an old pickup truck or a, a muscle car, maybe yeah, if you will, yeah. where you know, it's great for cloud chasing, it can turn really tight, you know, it, it you know, it's just kind of a nice, fun little airplane. 
You're flying a T-38, which is old and it's got a lot of, you know, special considerations. You don't get yourself in a bad situation. And they're like, all right, we're going to do a loop. And I remember that was one of the first aerobatic things that we did. Mm -hmm. We would need 10,000 vertical feet to do a loop in a T-38. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so it's not, it doesn't turn very sharp. Um, yeah. Wow. But I remember, you know, you get up to, you know, 25,000 feet at the top of your loop and you're coming down through the bottom of the loop and the ground rush was just incredible. You know, you're going oh, 350 wow. knots and you're like, wow, we are, we are moving and I'm running out of space very fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so initially, you know, it's everything from just trying not to fly out of the airspace and the dang thing. Um, yeah. But eventually farther down the pipe in the T-38, you get to do, we called it the, I think it was the zoom and boom mm -hmm. flight is what we called it. And we had to coordinate for like a special flight profile because you have to get up pretty high. You know, we would get up, you know, close to in, in the mid to high 30s and then basically dump the nose over into a pretty steep dive, you know, with the throttles, you know, full up and try to get as fast as we could and, and break the sound barrier. Um, and oh, it was wow. something I was really, really, really excited for because <clears throat> I always wanted to do, you know, break the sound barrier. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, it was kind of underwhelming. Um, because yeah. you know the airplane is designed for it, and so you're you're waiting for some you know dramatic thing to happen when you <laughs> when you cross the sound barrier. And I remember the only thing I saw was my as as we went from like 0.99 you know over to 1.0, um, the steam gauges uh, for the altimeter and the airspeed kind of like flickered a little bit, you know, and they just oh. kind of like jiggled a little bit because yeah. <laughs> something with the the air you know the supersonic airflow over the over the pitot tubes basically made them wiggle around and kind of read inaccurately for a second. Oh, that's and then at that point I was already getting close to, cause you can't go below a certain altitude mm -hmm. when you're supersonic uh, based on the airspace we were flying in. Mm -hmm. And about the time I was like, wow, okay, that's it. I guess we're supersonic now. And then I was like, oh crap, I got to pull up. So I don't, you know, break through the floor and sonic boom somebody's house. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But it was fun because we, we ended up having a little competition because everyone wanted to see who could go the fastest. And so everybody oh. on their ride was trying to make sure that they flew the profile just perfectly, you know, because they, they have you push over to uh, not a negative G, but less than one G uh -huh. to kind of get like the least amount of drag on the airplane and try to accelerate as quickly as possible. And so, you know, we'd come down and we'd write up, you know, I got to 1.22 Mach, you know, and somebody would come down, well, I got to 1.23 Mach, you know, or whatever, and we'd <laughs> yeah. give each other a hard time. Um, but it was, it was a much bigger deal than in the T-38 um, versus now I'm kind of spoiled and we go, we go supersonic quite a bit and we don't really yeah. think about it as much anymore. Yeah. Um, Jeez. So how, that's, uh, that's incredible. How do the gauges <laughs> react in the F-35 compared to the T-38 when you cross the sound barrier? So it's interesting in, in the F-35, the, the gauges are rock solid. Um, but the, the jet itself, you know, it's fly by wire mm -hmm. and there's slightly different control laws that function at, at above the mock versus below the mock. And so in between kind of in that transonic region, when you start to get, you know, certain parts of the airplane have supersonic flow over them, but certain other parts don't yet. The jet actually feels like, starts to feel like it's on skates for a second or two. And the nose mm -hmm. kind of like moves around and like hunts around. And it's this really weird feeling like all of a sudden you're like, why is the jet moving like this? And if you look behind you, you can see the control surfaces just turning super sharp to try to basically keep the airplane airplane oh, steady. Wow. And wow. it does that for wow, about point cool. for about point oh three Mach from like point nine seven up to uh, you cross the sound barrier, and then after that, it's like dead steady again. Wow! So it's a little bit different, but it was 
it's a, you always know when you're about to go supersonic if you're not thinking about it because all of a sudden the jet starts kind of shimmying a little bit and you're like, oh, make mm-hmm. sure you're in the right right airspace because there's certain parts of our airspace where we can't go supersonic because there's people underneath mm-hmm. us. And, so, yeah. so from that during that transition, how much time passes? Uh, it, it depends. You know, if I'm just in mill power, you know, and I'm descending a little bit, you know, you might be kind of stuck in that transonic region. Um, cause obviously we don't have super crews quite like the, uh, the F 22 does. Um, and mm-hmm. if we're just in mill power, we, we really can't cross the sound barrier unless we're descending. Um, but if you're in like full afterburner and you're just trying to like get really fast, it's really only like a second that it'll kind of oh, wow. shimmy okay. a little bit and then you'll be through, oh, the, wow. through the mock. <laughs> yeah. So that, that, are that's you so cool? Yeah. Mm. Wow. So you say the control surfaces are just doing everything they can to maintain um what like level and steady flight and is is there ever a situation I that would come about where is that the autopilot that's functioning at some sort or is that just how the airplane functions? So you know the F35 is fly by wire um and so right the way we like to say it sometimes is you're like a voting member in the council that determines what the airplane does. <laughs> um, so you could, you know, do something with the stick and throttle. And, you know, when you pull back on the stick, you're not directly commanding, you know, the rear stabs to dig in. Um, uh-huh. You're usually commanding, you know, either a nose rate or commanding a G based on your stick position. And the jet kind of determines based on, you know, how fast it's going, you know, how high you are, uh, that kind of stuff, what kind of like what control movement it needs to do to basically achieve what you've asked of the jet. Mm-hmm. So that means gotcha. it, it's kind of always using all of its uh, control surfaces to, um, to fly as efficiently and as stably as possible and to do what you ask it to do. Um, so when you look back, you know, you may be trying to fly straight and level um, either with the autopilot on or just kind of hand flying it straight and level. But if you're in really bumpy air, you know, usually the, the control services are, are kind of working, you know, even though you're not moving the stick, they're still moving mm-hmm. to kind of keep you mm-hmm to keep yeah. you straight and level. Um, mm-hmm. And so the transonic region is a little bit goofy for it. So it, it is usually working a little bit more. Uh, you know, as a, as a guy That's on cool. the ground, just witnessing, you know, jets and, you know, growing up watching aircraft, it, I always love watching, you know, the fly-by-wire aircraft, you know, the F-35s, the F-22s, uh, even the Super Hornet has some of those, I believe it's, a, well, yeah, I think so. But anyway, I love the control surfaces, how they're just constantly moving. And mm-hmm. when you watch, when you watch a demo, um, you know, we, we go up the hill, you know, quite a bit and watch the F-35 demo team practice and, and, uh, seeing that high angle of attack, you know, just the slow speed pass. I mean, you see the whole time, you know, just those control surfaces are just, you know, up and down and just keeping the aircraft just as steady as possible. It's really cool. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm continually yeah. amazed by the, the engineering that goes into that software, yeah. you know, to make that, make that possible. It's, it's pretty incredible to watch. So every once in a while, if I'm not super busy, it's fun to kind of look behind you and take a look at, like, uh-huh. oh, there's a, you know, there's an F 35 behind me, you know, and yeah. you know, watch the control <laughs> services work. And yeah. <laughs> I'm usually too busy to do that, but every oh, once in a while. Funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, when do you, <laughs> Go ahead, Ryan. The F-35, um, it's just in so many different ways it impressed me. We we had the uh, opportunity to uh, go 
on base one time and I got to put on the helmet and like flight suit and everything. And, and that alone, the technology in that helmet and, uh, the computer that's involved with that being attached to the aircraft. It's just, so what's always, what's impressed me so much about the F-35 is just what a technological feat it was, you know, or it is. It's, uh, so to be able to, be in that cockpit and look back like you said and just watch the aircraft man that pretty cool it's giving me chills when you're talking about it so yeah, reminded me of the helmet yeah and certainly when we first start out you know you're you haven't even flown the jet yet you know in the b course and they get you fitted for your helmet and all your gear and finally they're like yep here's your helmet you know they kind of make it custom fitted to you uh, mm-hmm. then i remember just being nervous you know just carrying it out to the jet because you know this is an expensive piece of equipment here and it's just in this <laughs> yeah, like geez, this, this fabric bag you know I'm like well i hope i don't drop it trying to climb up the ladder like well, be i was just thinking <laughs> i was just thinking of how many times i've dropped my damn phone i mean <laughs> if i drop that helmet yeah that's uh wow yeah so yeah. we try to avoid doing that um. yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> hey so yeah. when you when you finished up in the t38 um did you did you know what aircraft you wanted to fly beyond that? What track you wanted to go? What um, mm-hmm. where were yeah, you there? And 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 to add add something to what Tony just asked you, kid. Um, not only that question, but also um, g- go through uh, the night when you found out you were going to fly the F thirty five. Yes. So <clears throat> I, we, me and my friends, we called it the the stress window. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, you know, the, the days and weeks kind of leading up to drop night, which is, you know, the big night mm-hmm. where you find out what you're going to fly. Mm-hmm. And I always thought I knew what I wanted to fly. You know, I was, I was like, yeah, you know, like, I think I'd love to fly something, you know, multi-role, you know, like there's really cool airplanes out, like, out there. Like, I know I want to fly fighters and, and hopefully, you know, I was good enough for that, but you don't really know, um, mm-hmm. at the time. I was like, well, the F-22 is just an amazing airplane. And that's really cool. Um, the F-35 was, you know, still fairly unproven. You know, I knew some of the guys that were going to the first B course, but I didn't really know anybody that, that flew the jet. And none of my instructors had either. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have instructors from a lot of different backgrounds. And, you know, they're all kind of biased. And, like, you know, every F-16 pilot is going to tell you that the F-16 is the best airplane ever made. You know, every, every Strike Eagle pilot is going to say, you know, like, well, the Strike Eagle's, you know, the coolest airplane ever made. And we do like really cool missions, all that kind of stuff. And every A-10 pilot's going to tell you the same thing. And so sometimes it can be hard, hard to kind of like figure out, you know, what's best for you. And um, I always thought I wouldn't have a problem choosing, you know, I'd grown up watching F-16s and, you know, I thought that was a really cool airplane. And I knew a lot of instructors that flew it and they talked really, really highly of it. But when it finally came time to like put down my, my wish list. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was just so like, oh my gosh, like this is it, you know, this is finally like my time to like put down and like rank everything oh, I wanted. And I was yeah, going to yeah. a horrible indecision, you know, cause there were a lot of great options out there. Um, and I ended up putting the F-35 first and it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't always first on my list. Um, and a lot of time, and it was one of my flight commanders that actually kind of sat us down and said like, Hey guys, like, I know we always talk good about like all these other airplanes and they're great airplanes, but you know, seriously consider, you know, putting something like the F-35 high on your list. Cause not only do they need guys, but it's, it's kind of like the way of the future. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And I think that helped. But I think the thing that helped me the most was when somebody, one of my other instructors said, he's like, hey, don't choose an airplane, like choose a mission, you know, choose a mission type that is meaningful mm -hmm. to you, because that's at the end of the day, you know, that's, that's why you're doing this is to accomplish the mission. So choose something that you think you would, you know, find meaning in, um, and something that would kind of inspire you to like, be the best that you could be at it. And so then that kind of made me think about it a lot differently. Um, you know, on the one hand, there are a lot of single role fighters out there like the A-10 or the F-22 mm -hmm. or the F-15C, you know, where they're either just air to ground or just air to air. Um, mm -hmm. And there's, you know, more of the, the jacks of all trades, if you will, like the F-15E and the F-16 and now the F-35. Mm -hmm. But what really intrigued me about the F-35 and also to a certain extent, the F-16 uh, is the, the seed mission, the suppression mm -hmm. of enemy air defenses. Yeah, that's cool. And it kind of came down to, you know, like everybody, you know, fighter pilots can certainly have a rep of, you know, it's, it's always about us, you know, we are the mission, you know, like we're the cool dudes, like whatever. Um, <laughs> but I think what really drives a lot of fighter pilots in, in reality is kind of, um, making other people safer, you know, for doing their job mm -hmm. for A-10s. That means supporting guys on the ground, you know, in the close air support mission, mm -hmm. you know, for F-22s, it's about making other aircraft safe by, you know, doing the escort role and, and fighting air to air. And the one that really appealed to me sort of as like from a technological standpoint, um, was, was seed. Cause you know, you're out there trying to protect other airplanes airborne, you know, by taking down enemy air defenses uh, before mm -hmm. they have a chance to shoot them down. Um, and it's everybody that I talked to that had done that mission, you know, usually it was F 16 block 50 guys, you know, found mm -hmm. that mission to be super compelling, really difficult. Um, but they also found that you're also in a multi-role platform. So you end up doing the other stuff too. You end up doing a lot of air to air, um, close air support, you know, especially in Iraq and Afghanistan at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and I kind of saw the F 35 as like, Hey, not only is this, you know, one of the ways of the future for the air force and how we how we do fighter aviation. Um, but it's, we kind of had an inkling that like that was going to be one of the main roles of the F-35 was seed. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's kind of what I ended up seizing on and ended up putting it first, uh, on my list and was, um, fortunate enough to get it, but I really had no idea. Mm. Um, and the reason was I had, I had failed what many people say is the most important flight in pilot training. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's like, I was, I was feeling pretty good about myself. You know, like I knew I, you know, I wasn't like the best, of the best or anything, but like I'd done reasonably well in pilot training. I thought I had a pretty good chance to get a, get a fighter. And I just had one of those days, you know, where like, I felt pretty prepared and I showed up for my, it was a two ship, uh, tactical formation ride, my check ride in the T-38. And it was kind of looked at as like, oh, this is kind of like where they really see if you have what it takes to be a, a, a fighter pilot. At least that mm -hmm. was the rumor. Mm -hmm. and I just totally dorked it away. You know, most oh, of the no. flight went well. And I, I just did like, I did the dumbest error ever where, you know, I wasn't paying attention to my altitude and I just, I just blasted through, uh, an altitude that was given to me by air traffic control. Oh, and, you broke the hard deck. Uh oh. Oh yeah. Flew right through it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I hard deck, my ass. We nailed that. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Sorry. I, my, I my was only below the hard deck for a couple of seconds. Uh, yeah. You know, all right. You know, I try. I try to tell the instructor. You know, I saw no danger. Um, yeah. But, you know. <laughs> so you took it. He, he did not. He did not look at it the same way that I did. And so I walked out of there with a with a failure. You know, and a bunch of downgrades and like all this other stuff. And I was so oh, down. I was wow. like, oh man, like that was a pretty important ride. And like it kind of like threw things up in the air for me. I was like, man, I don't really know. Like, you know, if I'm going to get my first choice anymore. Um. But oh wow. 
like everybody else, you know, I, I was far from the only guy with, with a lot of, you know, uncertainty going into drop night. Um, yeah. cause you know, you don't, you don't even know what's in the drop, you know, they could have yeah. a million fighters for one class and then, you know, have like one or two fighters for the next class. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was very much in the dark, just like the rest of us going into drop night, you know, and they had us kind of facing the crowd, you know, you got some family in the audience. Uh, my brother was there, you know, Lydia, uh, she's my girlfriend at the time was there and all my friends. And you're kind of like facing the crowd and they like kind of roast you for a little bit, um, tell a funny story about you. And then oh. like at the end, they like put up on the projector behind you, like what you got. And I just remember like everybody started cheering and I turned around and I saw there was like a big F35, like on the, on the screen behind me. And I was so excited, you know, I was, oh, wow. Yeah. You know, the, <laughs> A little bit, a little bit later, I got nervous about it. It's like, oh man, that's going to be, it's going to be tough. You know, that's going to be, you know, flying fighters is the real deal. And I hope I'm ready for this. But at the time I was just, I was so excited. You know, you're celebrating yeah. with all your friends and, oh yeah, um, it was, it was a, definitely a high point night for me, uh, just cause it, it went kind of how I hoped it would. And so I was lucky, uh, certainly lucky in that respect. Uh, in addition to, you know, we had a really good drop there are a lot of fighters in our drop and there are actually two F 35s, uh, that went to our class, me and, one other guy, a good friend of mine, who's now in the Rams with me. Uh, right oh, now. that's so, cool. Awesome. So that was cool. We kind of got to go through the, the F-35 training together and uh, end up up here at Hill. So, yeah, it was a really special night. And it was partially, you know, because you have all this stress, you know, leading up to it. And, you know, you finally uh, get what you're hoping for, you know, or maybe you don't. But, uh, you know, either way, like you kind of know what your future holds for you. And there's a lot of uh, uncertainty mm-hmm. that's kind of removed. And that was that was really good. So we, we asked this next question to uh, all of the military pilots that we talked to. Uh, got to know the story behind the call sign. Oh, usually you got to buy somebody a drink for that, but you know, I guess we well, can make an exception. Well, wait a second. We're, we're close. We'll go, we'll go buy you a drink for sure. All right. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll hit you guys up later for it. We'll, okay, we'll, we'll work out a time. Yeah, we'll do it. All right. So I, I got named Kid. Um, you know, it's kind of a little bit of alliteration. You know, Kid Canute's kind of, I don't know if that sounded cool to the guys that were naming me. I don't, you guys probably know the, the tradition behind naming guys where uh-huh. usually, yeah. you know, you've kind of, you've been in the squadron for a little while, you know, you've flown as, as a young wingman and kind of people kind of figure out what makes you tick and usually have some good stories about you. And mm-hmm. it's usually done, it's usually done at a roll call um, where everybody gets together and it's usually a time to like get everybody together, like tell some good stories, tell some history, like call people out for stuff, you know, and <laughs> just kind of in general, like make fun of each other, you know, and kind of have a party. Um, and this was when we were up at mountain home actually, while they were repairing our runway. Um, I know, oh, fa- wow. I know fast I, mentioned I, it to I, you guys. Yeah, fast. That, that's right. That's right. I remember all that. Yeah. yeah we so, went to a fast spinny flight. Um, they did it early because they were moving up to mountain home. So that's right. I remember that. Yeah. 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 So I actually flew a couple of jets up there with, with fast. We, uh, we rescued oh, a few jets from Langley and we flew two of them across the country up to, up to mountain. Oh, in summer. I, I remember oh, cool. talking about those flights. That's cool. You were with them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, part of what we were doing up there is we, we had, uh, been dropping a lot of training weapons out on the range. You know, we'd be working with, uh, some ground teams up at the ranges to, uh, kind of do some closer support related missions and drop weapons. And mm-hmm. I had a real hell of a time with it. Um, I had like the most weapons malfunctions I think anybody has ever heard of. 
you know, uh, where basically you go up there and your bomb has failed for whatever reason and it won't drop, you know? So I had a bunch of, you know, a bunch of bombs were like, I go up there and like, you're all ready to drop and you like press the pickle button and nothing happens. You're like, well, that's not good. Um, and in some cases that can be what we call like a hung bomb, you know, where it tries to release, but it doesn't come off the jet. And generally, as you can imagine, this is considered a bad thing. Yeah, really. Uh, yeah. Especially with the F-35 having, you know, carrying most of its uh, load, you know, internally. Yeah. And, you know, wow. fortunately, fortunately, these were not, these weren't lives. Usually we're dropping inerts. Yeah. Um, right. You know, concrete filled bombs with the, with the guidance kits on them. Um, mm -hmm. And one of my probably had never really had one of these malfunctions before. So it's kind of one of the first guys to try to drop it and it like broke and didn't work. And so they were trying to figure out like why it happened. And a lot of times you have to do, you know, you have to leave your weapon bay doors open, have a guy kind of chase you and check it out to see if it's like hanging funny in there or if it was just one of those things where like it aborted the pass. And so I would you know, had one flight where I declared an emergency to come back with a hung bomb. I'd gone out there and tried to shoot the gun and the gun wouldn't fire for whatever reason, you know, and that was weird. Uh, some other place where you know yeah. somebody else started a fire on the range and so now there's like a brush fire on the range and so they had to like abort all the drops and like you know for whatever reason you know we're trying to make guys training and dropping weapons and and christian cannot drop a bomb to save his life um and it even extended to when we did we did some missile shoots and you know i couldn't even i couldn't get my missile greened up to shoot and that was stressful too and, and so they started you know making up and they started well you know are we sure it's the jet? You know, are we sure Christian just isn't like, you know, getting, getting nervous up there? You know, he's not like, you know, so of course, you know, the stories start to go. And as soon as it's a thing now, it's just like a curse, you know, it's like, you just can't oh, eat yeah. all summer. I'm just, you know, having a hard time with it. Um, <laughs> and so the story that they ended up, you know, telling was, you know, all of those stories, you know, about me among other embarrassing stories, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> end kid, which, you know, a little bit of background on that is usually when you are doing a training drop with guys on the ground, you will call, you know, uh, Ram zero one is in dry, meaning like, Hey, you know, I'm simulating, like I'm dropping a bomb, but there's no actual bomb coming off the jet. Mm -hmm. So like same page. So kid actually stands for Christians in dry, you know, which is just, doesn't matter. He's already going in dry. There's nothing coming off the jet. So don't worry about it. <laughs> Unfortunately oh, for me, awesome. really uh, I was able to break the curse, and and since then I haven't had any problems. Knock on wood, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. That's funny. Oh, that's oh my Christian god, Christian Dry. That's so funny. Love it. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh my gosh. So, so I have another question. Um. Uh. So then you uh got selected for the F thirty five. Um, it obviously you went to Luke Air Force Base. That's I think where most F thirty five training is done. Um, and then and then from there you go to Hill Air Force Base, correct? And with the uh, Fourth Fighter Squadron, I'm in um, the thirty fourth. Oh, the thirty fourth. That sorry, yes, the thirty yep. fourth. My bad. Um, and then um, what what was that like going from hot crazy luke you know luke air force base where it's 115 in the summer and then you got hill air force base and did did the f-35 perform differently down in that desert climate versus the 
you know, the Rockies and, you know, up here in the, in the uh, Ogden, Utah, Layton, Utah area. Um, what was that like going from, you know, your training and then you're with an operational squadron? And, and I know it's kind of a long question, but mm-hmm. when you uh, came to Hill, was the F-35 already operational or had it reached the IOC yet? It was. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Just barely though. Um, yeah. So I was in the third B course. So like the third group of six guys to come out of Luke. Um, so okay. there were, the fourth was already stood up and the 34th was all, was all stood up as well. So they're just the two okay. squadrons stood up. And I guess, you know, flying wise, it was not terribly different. Um, takeoff and landing is slightly different because, you know, with the higher elevation, you know, you go from 3000 to about 5000 feet uh, up at Hill. Um, yeah. the jet behaves a little bit differently, um, especially when it's heavy, you know, with the air being thinner for takeoff and landing, but uh-huh. for the most part, you know, flying out, we fly out a lot over the, the West deserts, over the, the salt flats and stuff like that. And it really doesn't look that much different from a lot of the airspace down at, down at Luke, uh, which was yeah. nice. I certainly mm-hmm. appreciate the temperature difference, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. so the summers down at Luke were, were pretty brutal. Um, you know, trying to do your, your ground ops and get in the jet, you know, wearing your G suit, which feels like wearing a pair of snow pants oh, geez, and you're yeah. you know, starting the jet and, you know, the, the air conditioning doesn't work all that well on the ground with your engine at idle. And, you uh-huh. know, it could just be really hot and sweaty. Not that it doesn't get a little bit hot here, but it's nothing nearly like, like Luke was. Uh-huh. Um, but I, you know, I think attitude wise, it was, um, it was definitely a little bit of an adjustment coming to an operational squadron. Um, mm-hmm. You're used to having guys, you know, watch your every move and kind of like not spoon feed you, but clearly like the training is all about you as the student at Luke yeah. in, in the B course when you're first learning, you know, they're trying to get you to be as good as you can possibly be. And they're, you know, they're kind of have a close eye on you and making sure that you're like progressing and, and getting to where you need to be. Um, mm-hmm. but the training wheels definitely come off a little bit, you know, showing up to an operational squadron. You know, still as a young guy, you know, your, your instructors and your flight leads will keep an eye on you, you know, because they know you're, you're less experienced. Um, but now the training isn't really about you anymore. Now that you're established in the squadron, you definitely feel like you're, you're more part of a, a team trying to accomplish something. You know, you're part of training for somebody else. Mm-hmm. And that can be pretty fun, too, because you feel like you're less under a microscope and you're really able to kind of, you know, feel like you contribute uh, a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. and kind of learn in a different way than when you're kind of being closely watched and, you know, closely graded on everything you do. So the first flight we were not being graded on everything was, was definitely liberating. And it was a, it was a lot of fun and you just felt that much closer to like, you know, Hey, you know, sometime we may have to deploy and like do this stuff for real. So, you know, it, it kind of brought yeah. like a level of kind of realism to it. That was, that was really rewarding uh, coming up here. And I've been really lucky, nice. you know, we have a great squadron up there at Hill with a bunch of really good guys, a bunch of really smart guys. Um, and it's just like every day you go out, you know, you're learning something new, you know, from somebody else with a, either a different background, you know, or a different kind of philosophy on, you know, certain tactical aspects um, or different techniques to kind of like teach you and kind of help you along. Um, so it's, it's certainly a fast paced environment up there, but um, it's super rewarding just to go out there and feel like you're, you're getting better every day. And then at a certain point you're out there to make other people, uh, better every day kind of as a more of a team player and less of a guy just trying to make it through the training pipeline. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know, and, and you mentioned, you know, that one day you could, you know, be deployed and do this for real. And that 
actually just so happened to be the case. Um, you were part of some of the first um, F-35As from the United States Air Force to actually uh, deploy for combat uh, over in the Middle East. And yep. uh, what was that like getting that call or, you know, briefing that, hey, you guys are going to go. And uh, w- were you part of the the first or second or third deployment? I, I, I'm i not really sure on which uh, which one you went over on. But yeah. if you could just elaborate on some of that, that would be awesome to hear. Because it's it's really historic, actually. Yeah. So we weren't we weren't a part of the first deployment. The fourth fighter squadron did the first deployment okay. um, six months before we did, and then we were you know scheduled to deploy basically this summer. It would have been uh, summer of twenty one, and late in October, you know, we were doing an exercise, and you know, we basically got told. You know, I walked into work, and somebody told me like, "Hey, we're deploying like now," um, and that was oh, like wow. certainly like, wait. Like, this is like one of those, like, Hey, this is not a drill kind of a situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we ended up, the squadron ended up deploying, um, in late fall, um, and going out to, uh, the middle East. And that was exciting and stressful for everybody. Cause we were planning on having to go, you know, a few months later. And so there was a lot of scrambling, you know, to get everything ready and to develop all mm-hmm. the plans and, you know, and get all those jets over there. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it was definitely surreal being told for the first time, like, hey, you know, it's like, it's time to go, you know, time to like get our stuff together. And it wasn't one of those like, oh, we're leaving tomorrow type things. But um, yeah, it was like, no, we're leaving in a month. And, a, you know, a month for a squadron that is not ready to go somewhere is is not a lot of time to kind of prepare, you know, because a lot of the stuff we train to here, when you go to the, the Middle East, you know, it's a kind of a different fight over there. And, you know, yeah. at the time with a lot of close air support. Uh, and stuff like that. And it was stuff that we trained to, but you know, it's not our, our only focus, um, with all of our mm-hmm. other mission sets. So really fast uh, kind of spin up for everybody to kind of like get a lot of practice under their belt with, you know, working with guys on the ground and kind of talking to guys who had been there previously in the fourth fighter squadron and figure out how they'd, they'd done things, um, and kind of mm-hmm. getting all the, all the lessons learned from them. Um, but it was, it was really exciting to kind of go there for the first time. I didn't, I didn't fly a jet over there. Um, I went about a month later, uh, in December and flew over on a, a KC, I got a ride in the back of a KC 10, uh, over there, oh, cool. took a, took an 18 hour flight over there, which was uh pretty grueling, but yeah, it was oh, super wow. exciting, especially for us young guys, you know, it was, you know, yeah. first, one of the first deployments for the F-35, but also, you know, all of our first deployment, uh, as young guys. And that mm-hmm. was pretty intimidating at first, uh, but also. Uh, really exciting because you know you spend as a fighter pilot you spend years and years you know training and studying and working hard to try to be ready for uh, actually doing the job and going out there and and deploying and finally getting a chance to do it was um, just absolutely just it was very rewarding for all of us uh yeah yeah even though you know we can there's a few stories we can talk about but you know, compared to like a lot of the A-10 guys, you know, F-16 guys that go out there, you know, we're, we had a relatively quiet uh, time out there in the Middle East, uh-huh. you know, fortunately for a lot of the guys on the ground, but, you know, uh-huh. we still kind of found the opportunity where we were needed and, you know, able to, to do what we needed to do. And that was, um, it's cool to see almost an entire community, you know, in the F-35 kind of almost come of age, if you will, you know, and start yeah. to kind of like yeah. pull their weight, you know, in the Air Force and deploy and, and be there. Um, you know, after just hearing about it, you know, for the longest time. Yeah. 
Yeah, and 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 I know our conversations with Fast, you know, uh, you know, over the years, you know, the F thirty five gets criticism. You know, it's not this and it's not that and whatever. But you know, Fast basically told us a story about the first time he took the F thirty five to Red Flag versus flying the F sixteen at Red Flag, and he was telling us how. You know, he had that moment where it was like the I believe button, you know, the stealth mode button, basically. And uh, he's like, this is the moment. And it absolutely just proved to him that the F-35 was this capable fighter that was advertised. And, uh, you know, what, what, did, did you have a moment like that um, when when you were deployed or you know, the I believe button. And I mean, please share with us any kind of story or any story that you have of uh, being deployed and, uh, you know, any any mission that, that you could, you know, talk about or an aspect of one. Yeah. So first, I guess, kind of like as a general subject, you know, the F-35 is kind of at a point, you know, we are, you know, it's advertised that at some point it will replace the A-10 or, you know, at some point it will replace X or Y fighter. Mm-hmm. And at this point, you know, we, you know, we understand the jet, you know, we understand that it is, it is not an A-10. You know, we are not out there to be the world's best cast fighter, you know, right, at least at this right. stage in the game, you know, because we are, um, at least for the type of cast that, you know, that we've been fighting over there, be it in Afghanistan or in Iraq or Syria. Um, but that being said, it certainly is, is capable enough in many of those situations. Um, you know, and in a lot of ways, we're not, you know, we're there for the higher end fight, you know, whether it's, you know, tensions with Iran, you know, sparking up or something like that in a lot of ways, like the, you know, the F-22 kind of being sent to the Middle East, you know, they're not there to, to fight the Taliban. They're there to kind of send messages to other countries in the region, you know, be it, you know, Hey, we're here to support you as allies or, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, bad actors out there saying like, Hey, like think twice before you, you know, start acting up, you know, cause there's F-35s in town. Um, and so yeah. we always kind of roll our eyes at it because a lot of times, you know, fighter squadrons are moved around kind of as, you know, to be a presence, if you will, you know, uh-huh. or to kind of, you know, uh, dissuade other countries from doing bad things. And so a lot of times it's kind of an intangible, like, well, how much did we help? You know, did, you know, so-and-so did Iran not do something crazy because, you know, we were there, you know, it's really hard to say. Yeah. Um, but that being said, we did fly a lot of close air support. Um, and I don't really have, quite as crazy as stories as, you know, you know, somebody like fast might have, uh, from flying cast in the F 16. Mm-hmm. But I remember one of my first, uh, combat sorties up there, we were working with guys on the ground that were, it was a team, uh, up North that was doing a patrol and they'd kind of gotten some pretty credible evidence and intelligence that they were kind of being targeted uh, by a certain group that was up there. Um, and rather than just stay in their, in their OP, they were going out and doing patrols and basically saying like, Hey, like we're here, like we're, you know, we're not afraid of you guys and we're going to continue to like do our job and go out there and, um, kind of find you guys wherever you are. And it was, I always kind of imagined myself, you know, like, well, if, you know, something does go really bad, like, will I be able to like do the right thing, you know, and you, you kind of try to talk yourself out of like hoping for that to happen, you know, cause the best thing that could possibly happen was nothing, you know, in a lot of cases mm-hmm. where guys go out and they don't get shot at, you know, that's a good day for them. And in turn, it means the good day for us. And so it really kind of brought home like why we were doing this when, um, a guy on the ground basically said like, Hey, like he, he apologized to us. And he said like, Hey, like, I'm sorry. Like we didn't have anything for you guys today. Like, I know 
you guys flew a long way to get up here and like, you know, sorry, but you know, we didn't have more for you guys and nothing really happened. We're like, right. Like, are you kidding? Like, you know, yeah. like we're up here to support <laughs> you as the guy on the ground. Like we are not like, we're not the show. Like you guys are the show and we are here to support you guys. And he said like, well, just so you know, like it was, we're really glad that you guys were here, you know, and just hearing mm-hmm. that from, you know, some, you know, pretty, you know, badass dude on the ground <laughs> in one of those teams, you know, say that yeah. to us was, was super rewarding. Um, but one of the other rewarding things was I was, I was flying a, uh, I was flying a mission over Afghanistan, uh, with another, uh, pilot up there. And this guy on the radio, this JTAC we were talking to sounded really familiar, um, as he was passing us nine lines, uh, up there. And I just kind of couldn't shake like the feeling that he sounded familiar. And after we got down on the ground I called him up and, um, he told me his name and I was like, Whoa, like, are you like so-and-so? And he's like, yeah. And it was actually one of my, one of my good friends from the Academy that I hadn't really checked in with in a while. And I, I didn't know that he had been oh, wow. deployed and we had just basically met up, you know, somehow over the radios kind of supporting each other over there in Afghanistan, you know, how many thousands of miles away from home. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that is a cool story. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, in a lot of ways, we, you know, we had a pretty boring deployment up there. You know, we had our share of, you know, being able to uh, drop bombs uh, up there in support of guys. But um, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, it being boring was a good thing, even though as a pilot, yeah. it doesn't feel like it, you know, at the yeah. time. Um, right. But it certainly sure. is yeah. surreal kind of being up there for the first time. Like for a lot of us, you know, we kind of grew up with the war on terror you know, kind of being a thing, you know, as, yeah. as kids, you know, and now it's like 20 years later and we're still flying over like the same, the same areas, you know, that you've been seeing on the news for, for years mm-hmm. and years and kind of being there and like physically seeing it and like interacting and like, you know, going to war, um, that, you know, that far down the road was definitely a surreal experience. Um, yeah, spe- especially flying the uh, wow. fighter jet that was still in development back like in 2001. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, you know, at this stage, you know, unfortunately, I can't give uh, some of the stuff we did was we can't talk too much about. But um, certainly yeah. we were there, you know, when uh, Suleimani was killed uh, up there in mm-hmm. Baghdad. And that was probably the tensest time for us, you know, because nobody really knew how Iran was going to react to that. Um, yeah. You know, before they, you know, drop those, drop those missiles on Al-Assad. And I remember we were well, all kind of like waiting for what was going to happen after that, you know, because yeah, right. Iran was on such alert. I mean, they shot down that Ukrainian uh, 737 airliner. Yeah. And that was, you know, you know it was such a tragedy to see that happen, you know, kind of as a result yeah. of all that, all that fallout. And um, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. It goes without saying, you know, how tragic it is when people kind of get caught in sort of the crossfire, so to speak, of, you know, whether right, it's right. incompetence, you know, or kind of as a, a third order effect from, you know, them doing those things in the Middle East. And that was certainly kind of weighed heavy on us, you know, that that had happened. Not that it was, you know, our fault in any way, but, you know, it was yeah, definitely a right. sobering experience to see that happen. But, you know, we were all wondering because you never know, like, what the, you know, what the response is going to be on our end. and you know. Mm-hmm. We knew that, you know, as the kind of the the stealth fighters in the region, that if anything happened, we were kind of going to be the guys that were going to get called mm-hmm. um, to do the dangerous missions, you know, along with a lot of the other guys that were down there. But we knew we were going to have to do quite a bit of work uh, if it kind of came to it. So that was certainly a, a stressful period, um, but also kind of good knowing that we were there. Um, 
because yeah. we knew like if stuff went down, like we would be called up to basically be there to protect, you know, a lot of the other uh, U.S. guys in the region as well as uh, allies up there. Like we, yeah. would, we would be the ones having to go out there and kind of whether it's doing seed or doing close air support kind of to protect those guys. And that was certainly a heavy experience, but, you know, something that we were all ready to do and, and kind of psyched mm-hmm. to psyched to be there for. Yeah. Yeah. And when nice. you're, when you are deployed like that, um, how easy is it to like, let's, let's say, you know, you're, you know, hypothetically you're on a seed mission, but then all of a sudden you have, uh, you know, an, uh, an enemy jet inbound. Is it really easy to switch your focus from, you know, the seed mission then to air to air in the F-35? I'd say it kind of is, um, you know, a lot of our training, you know, we kind of do as kind of a, a mixed, a kind of a mix between the two, you know, we certainly practice doing just air to ground or doing just air to air. Um, but a mm-hmm. lot of the higher end missions that we'll train to, you know, we're a multi-role fighter and we're expected to be able to both defend ourselves, you know, from enemy aircraft as well as, you know, do our air to ground mission as well. Um, and so certainly we have, we have tactics to that. Um, and it's, it's not always, you know, some of the stuff that we're worried the most about over there is just like the ROE, you know, like what, you know, what will finally give you the green light, you know, to kind of engage somebody, you know, when it came yeah. down to it. And when, when you actually have a, you know, a, a weapon, you know, on the other end of the pickle button, you know, everyone, you know, you kind of worry in the back of your head, like, you know, will it be clear when it comes time? Like, Hey, this is like, it's time to go and it's time to, you know, either shoot another aircraft or drop a bomb or, you know, whatever it may be. And there's a lot of complicated rules that kind of go into kind of the legality of that. And Mm -hmm. the important thing to remember is like, we're always able to defend ourselves when it comes down to it. But Mm -hmm. um, it was always kind of an interesting, you know, there were, there were plenty of other, other countries up flying uh, other airplanes up there, you know, not always friendly, you know, there, there are Russians flying up in Syria that we would see every once in a while. And that was always Mm -hmm. interesting to see, you know, we're both flying on our side of the line and they're up there probably just as bored as we are. And, <laughs> yeah. but still, you know, it's like you're looking up there and like, wow, that's a, that's a Russian aircraft up there. It's kind of cool. You don't see that in Utah. That um, is cool. Yeah. But yeah, you know, to get, to get to your question, you know, as a multi-role fighter, you know, we, we certainly pride ourselves on being able to, to do it all, you know, if you will. And, mm-hmm. um, but it certainly gets complicated and it certainly can be a challenge, you know, if you're trying to do simultaneous uh, missions kind of at the same time. Yeah. Nice. Wow. But yeah, it certainly that... is nice to be there in a stealth fighter, you know, cause you always feel like you have a little bit of a cheat code. Um, yeah. It's certainly you're... intimidating, but um, you're like, well, I certainly wouldn't want to be on the other side. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Glad it's, it's on our team. It is uh, yeah. is um, uh, your experience in um, you know, deployed. Uh, did you have one of those moments that I talked about with Fast saying, you know, you know, his "I believe" moment? Um, you know, whether that's you know when you're flying around Syria or you know wherever you were at, did you really feel like? You know, I mean, you just mentioned, you know, the F-35, you know, stealth fighter and, and everything. But, I mean, did you really feel like, wow, like this th- this thing, you know, stealth mode, quote unquote, is really pretty kick-ass and it, and it really works? Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, 
Yeah. Because yeah. we really were not up there in a, in a stealth fighter uh, capacity, if you will, on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. You know, on mm-hmm. a day-to-day basis, we're being used just like an F-16 would be or, or a Strike Eagle would be. Um, okay, sure. And so for us, you know, the F-35 is, you know, still untested from a uh, using stealth in a wartime capacity, if you will. You know, it's, mm-hmm. you know, we're not out there, you know, flying behind enemy lines or doing the crazy stuff that you simulate maybe doing, you know, in big exercises where you're like, wow, like this thing really is good. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, so barring some kind of major conflict breaking out, you know, that's not really the um, the capacity we were there in. Um, so a lot of us are like, yeah, but that'd be pretty cool. But at the same time, usually it's really bad things are happening. If we're, sure, uh, yeah. I guess it. Is going yeah. out, you know, if you will. But, yeah. And mm-hmm. that's a good thing you weren't put in that situation. Yeah. For sure. But yeah, certainly, is- like Pastor was saying, when it comes to like the larger exercises that we're doing. Um, it is fun to kind of meet up with red air after the fact. And they're like, yeah, we didn't see you guys like at all. It's <laughs> 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 certainly fun, you know, and, and kind of like, Oh, this kind of works. Um, yeah. 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 Cause I, we, we noticed on your Instagram, there is a photo uh, down on the ramp at Nellis. I assume that's a red flag exercise Yep. Um, that you guys were down for. Um, and uh, um, was that your first red flag? Was that, let's see, it looks like it might have been like red flag 19-1 or dash 2, it looks like. Yeah, the exercise we were down there for kind of went by another name, but it was my first uh, Nellis exercise, you know, kind of like a red oh, flag. Okay. It was, okay. Uh, it was definitely eye-opening to me. We, we train to um, large force exercises as much as we can, um, but it's mm-hmm. still is usually with just a lot of F-35s and usually maybe some contract there. Um, and we are pretty good at working with each other, you know, but one of the things that those exercises kind of tests is your ability to work with other airframes and other agencies, you know, and uh, com- you know, like command and control guys and stuff like that. And a lot of the stuff that we, you know, we don't have on our base. So, you know, they, unless they come up on a field trip, you know, we're not going to work with a lot of those other guys, you know, be it bombers or other fighters or, um, AWACS and stuff like right. that. A lot of times, mm-hmm. one of the biggest lessons that you learn from those is just how to, you know, how to plan and work with other guys, you know, that kind of, you know, the Air Force tries to standardize what we plan, the way we do things as much as possible. But, you know, it still kind of drives home like some of the biggest, you know, friction that can come, you know, either in wartime, like these exercises try to simulate, is just making sure that like the communication plan is good and that everybody's on the same page, you know, and that you have good, you know, tactical contracts in place so that. Everybody knows what they have to do, you know, when something happens. Um, mm-hmm. That's really cool. It's right. certainly, I mean, you know, I think on that exercise, as I was on that exercise, I was airborne, you know, as a wingman, you know, and I know there's 50 plus airplanes in the airspace around me in the middle of the night. And you were, yeah. you know, it was my first time ever flying down at Nellis. So everything is, is new. Um, and you're just trying yeah. to, the lizard brain, you know, kind of kicks in, uh, if you will, and you're just trying to fall back on whatever training that you've done to kind of accomplish the tactical side of the mission, you know, while also trying to absorb, you know, all the communication that's happening, all the other guys that are flying around you and kind of figure out like, Hey, how do I do my mission? You know, where it fits into kind of the bigger picture here. And it's, it feels like you're trying to do Mm -hmm. six or seven things at the same time, but it makes you a much better pilot uh, for sure. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, that's great. Ryan and Tony, do you guys have any other specific questions for Kid? 
Did you see yeah, a camel I mean, spider? Probably... <laughs> <laughs> no, I never did. I never did. Um, uh, I've actually I've seen camel spiders in Phoenix, but I haven't seen them. Yeah, me too. I because I, I lived in in the Phoenix area. I lived in the East Valley in Queen Creek, and uh, oh my gosh, like there would be camel spiders even out there. I was out there for like ten years. I lived down there. You know, the biggest one I saw was about two and a half inches, but. Oh my god! I guess the ones over in the Middle East can be like twelve, thirteen inches long. Fortunately, I didn't see any of those. I, I don't know if I would have recovered from that. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, the worst well, we you had remember were, the uh, were the cats. We had a lot of feral cats around, and they were they were pretty. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Yeah, that was that was really my last question because you know they freak me out. But anyway. Yeah. Um, Ryan, Ryan, <laughs> no, did you I, have I, another question? <laughs> no, I was just gonna say, like, uh, sometimes when you when we have guests on, like you kid, we just I sit there and I listen, and I'm just so intrigued, and uh, I almost forget that I'm like the interviewer and not the <laughs> just not the listener, you know. But uh, Aaron, Aaron, you pretty much asked every question I was gonna ask, so mm -hmm. I mean, I just you know, thanks for the stories and. You know, I, uh, I thank you for your service. The fact that you guys put in this much energy and effort and you're out there for us and protecting our freedoms. I just want you to know that, uh, you know, we, we appreciate that and all that you guys do and your, your squadrons and the, the maintenance guys up to the pilot, everything. So thank you for your service, man. And, and for coming on. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. I know sometimes as, as pilots, it, it feels like hard to accept uh people saying stuff like thank you for your service because it you know it hardly feels like work it's it's hard work for <laughs> sure but it feels like you yeah. get repaid kind of you get repaid kind of tenfold in terms of kind of the um like how rewarding the job is you know getting to fly you know multiple times a week and getting to kind of do the stuff you dreamed about and hopefully you know you know we're trying to do it to make everybody safer so yeah absolutely yeah. Ooh. Definitely. Yeah, and that it's was... just really, and it's just really freaking cool too. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Av Geek in me is 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 nerding out pretty much every day. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. The, the F thirty five cockpit is your office. Yeah, I don't know how you could really go wrong with that. Yep. <laughs> so let me awesome. let me ask you this, kid, before we let you go. So, um, I so I we've talked to a few pilots and. You know, they're not sure what their path is going to be, whether it's going to continue to be military or you're going to explore other options once your commitment is over with. What uh, where do you see yourself in uh, in five, 10 years from now? That's a really great, great question. Um, basically, my whole sorry life, to I, put hadn't you on really, the spot. I hadn't really pictured myself <laughs> anywhere else other than where I am right now. You know, so now that I'm mm -hmm. here, uh, I don't know. You know, it's it's kind of one of those things where I plan on flying for as long as the Air Force would let me, um, and for the most part, that's still my plan. But I I really yeah. haven't laid out too much of a plan uh, down the road. They keep me pretty busy just with trying to be as as proficient tactically as I as I can be. Um, and for now, that's kind of my job and all I'm really worried about. But in terms of like moving mm -hmm. forward for the Air Force, it's um, it's kind of going to be a decision I'll have to make when when the time comes. You know, we, yeah. we sign a, a pretty hefty commitment as pilots when that's up, you know, 
for me, it's in another like six or seven years. So it's still like a ways down the road, but I figure yeah. I'll probably be in a different place, both, you know, mentally and also, you know, I don't know what the family situation is going to be, you know, and it really, it comes down to like, what's going to be right for you and your family. Uh, when it comes mm-hmm. to whether or not you want to stay in for 20, you know, or you want to go try to be a commander, you know, or whatever it may be. Um, so for the most part, well, I, I, I don't yeah. trouble myself with it too much. And I kind of just take it a day at a time and try to try to do the best I can. Nice. Well, may, maybe, uh, you know, a, a tour with the Thunderbirds and F-35s is in your future. Because <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, eventually they're going to uh, transition to the F-35, which would be, you know, really cool. Yeah, well, we're certainly loud, so that will be a good part of yeah. the show. Oh, yeah, oh. absolutely. And if, <laughs> the listeners that have never gone, you know, and spotted F-35s at whatever base that, that they are, and especially at the Hill Air Force Base, it's so much fun watching you guys just, you know, take off, come back, you know, do the missed approaches. You know, I mean, it it's such a treat to always see the F-35s flying up a hill. That's where we see him most of the time. I still, um, I still stop and watch whenever I see people taking off when I'm walking around. On oh, yeah. uh, it, for me, uh, it hasn't gotten old. So yeah, no, <laughs> well, that that's great. My last question for you, kid is, and, and I always ask this is, is there anything that we missed or that we didn't ask you or something that you wanted to add uh, that maybe the listeners would, would want to hear about you or uh, anything we didn't cover? Oh, that's a tough question. Anything <laughs> we talked about today, we could probably continue to talk about for a few hours. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah um, right. I think the biggest right. thing for me is just kind of like when you talk about, you know, young guys that may have been in the same position that I was in, you know, a few years ago now um, is, I guess, just like, don't let kind of fear be like the dominant emotion that governs your decisions. You know, mm-hmm. I think being afraid to take risks is, you know, one of the the worst things you can kind of do to yourself. And I, that was kind of what led me to where I am. I feel like is a, a lot of luck. Um, but also, you know, I just didn't want to look back and kind of regret not going for, uh, something that I, you know, I believed in or something that I was really excited about. And I think that, you know, failure, you know, is certainly an option. Um, but it's nothing to be, nothing to be ashamed of. I've certainly screwed up my share of things and, I think that is a much better thing than, you know, having never gone for it, you know, if given the opportunity. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing for me kind of reaching out to maybe anybody out there who could be in that, uh, in that same position. So, well, and for, and for a guy that failed a check ride in a T 38, who is now flying the F 35. I mean, that should (laughs) tell anybody. I mean, I don't want to like, you know, like focus on that, but I mean, everybody does, they they well, have moments you, in their lives where they make mistakes that's and that's learn. how they learn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah I yeah. mean, so A, if I can do it, you know, anybody can, I guess I would say. And then on the other uh-huh. side, you know, <laughs> you should expect that, you know, failure will be a part of your journey. You know, like you will you will make big mistakes and you will fail at certain things and, and that's okay. Um, yeah. As long as you use that as a learning experience and you don't dwell on it, um, you know, that in many ways can end up making you stronger and, and more successful uh, than, you know, breezing through and, you know, never, never taking big risks or never uh, learning what that's about. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm. Well, awesome. Good advice. Yeah. yeah. Well, Christian kid, captain. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> you forgot you forgot Christian in drive. Yeah. Oh, Christian go. in drive. Yes. That that's one of the dry. best. That's a great story. Um <laughs> thank you. Thank you so so much. Uh, again, I'm just going to echo what uh what Aaron and Ryan said. Um you know, thank you again for your service. We really appreciate you having having you on the podcast. Um and uh you know, pretty jealous of what you do and uh <laughs> Uh, but that's a good thing. That's in a good way. But well, I, do, uh, give I us, do my best uh, to share. Well, that's, <laughs> yeah. And we and we appreciate it. And thank you again for uh, sharing about an hour and a half of your time with us and uh, and our listeners today. Um, we love what we do. Um, we love what we do for the community. And uh, without awesome guests like you guys, it would just be a bunch of boring av geeks talking shit. So, <laughs> well, yeah. there's a time for that too. That's a, that can yeah. be plenty entertaining. <laughs> that, uh, that drink that we owe you for your, your call sign story, that, that's when we'll do that. Sounds great. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah. Share your, uh, share your Instagram with everybody uh, one more time, if you would, please. Uh, it's Knut's K. So it's K N U T H S K. Um, that should be the tag on there and hopefully that's good enough to find me. Um, but yeah, yeah thanks again I'd, for having me on guys. I'd be happy to do it again anytime. Maybe have some more stories yeah. for you. Absolutely. Yeah. We oh will yeah. And, sure. and, and you need to follow kid um, on Instagram. He's got some great pictures. And again, one of my favorites is when you're doing the G stress training. And, <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The look <laughs> on your face and then to see you passed out. That's, that's pretty awesome. So. That's a that's a good not a great look for me, but I guess I know what I'll look like at uh, age eighty. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Let's. Uh, last thing I'll add, kid, is let's let's uh, connect and, and get some get some photos and video of you uh, flying. That would be so cool to see you departing at a hill or you know flying around. That'd be cool. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do that. Yeah, for sure. Great. All right. Uh, well, all right, Tony, take us away. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> hey, want to remind everybody that um, we now have a Patreon page. Um, want to thank uh, Lisa Davis once again for being our very first patron on Patreon. Um, there's uh, several links. There's a link through our website, rampcheckglobal.com, where you can get over to Patreon, or you can go to patreon.com slash uh, Global. That would be Ramp Check Global without the uh before it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, um, scroll through all the different benefits. You know, I mean, we're it's we're new at it. We're so. we're new at the whole Patreon thing, yeah, and yeah. you know, you you read back and forth. Well, you shouldn't be ashamed of asking. We're not asking for your money. We're what we're doing is we're asking if you'll help support us so we can continue to bring content and elevate that content and bring more we we want to go to more air shows once they start happening speaking of that we'll talk about the ramp swag store here in just a second but um mm -hmm. uh you know uh there's equipment involved um there's travel there's expenses and really it's just a way to show that you support some fellow av geeks in the community because we're supporting you guys as well. So if you feel like you want to support the podcast, our content, whatever, go over to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash ramp check global. 
and uh, you can see some of the different uh, the different cool things uh, that that we have there to offer you. Don't forget about our YouTube channel. Um, as we have more opportunities to video stuff, we'll be posting some cool contents, uh, more, I should say, additional content on there as well. Um, we've got our ramp check report page. Uh, it's a great resource, a great way to stay up to date on all of the aviation and aerospace uh, current events, news that's going on right now. That's, of course, accessible through uh, rampcheckglobal.com. And... I'm going to kind of let you talk about this a little bit, Aaron, because you have spent a lot of time updating. I can't believe all the cool new stuff on the Ramp Swag store. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I've, be been, I've been, yeah, be brief. Yeah. I mean, we don't have to go into it uh, too yeah. much, but once again, the Ramp Swag store has been completely redesigned and uh, holy shit, brother, all the different uh, styles you put up there and the new designs. It's crazy. Yeah, we have everything from, you know, current frontline fighters to retired fighters and cargo aircraft, support aircraft, helicopters, you name it. Um, you know, I try to put a big variety up there for everybody. So uh, whether you're, you know, an av geek like us, whether you flew in the Vietnam War or, you know, in the current wars or conflicts, uh, there's probably an aircraft there that uh, that you love that, you know, Get a hoodie, a T-shirt, stickers. Uh, we've got some coffee mugs, a little bit of everything. And uh, if you ever have any suggestions or requests, uh, send us a message through our social media or directly through the website. So mm -hmm. you can get the uh, Ramp Swag store at rampcheckglobal.com. <laughs> that, that's um, global, yeah. not global. <laughs> global. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yes. Um, yeah, we we uh, we love creating the uh, the products on there and uh, love when y'all you know pick some up, post a picture, uh, tell us you know message us. Uh, we love that and right. uh, we appreciate all the support. Absolutely, and and want to want to just point out that uh, Patreon is not the only way that you can support the podcast. Of course, um, you can buy uh, some of our ramp swag, and then you can look badass while you're wearing it and be supporting <laughs> yeah. the podcast. Um, another way to support the podcast, of course, uh, is to subscribe where you can, share the podcast with your uh, with your friends and family. Um, and then of course, uh, where you can as well, uh, give us a five star rating because, you know, we're pretty cool like that. Um, the Ramp Check podcast is available pretty much anywhere you can get your podcasts. Uh, SoundCloud is kind of where it all began for us. And then of course, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Pandora, um, yeah, any major podcast, podcasting yeah. app. And you, and we have those links sure. on our website too. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Links are right there on our website as well. So, uh, Aaron, where can everybody find you on social media? Uh, my personal social media at Aaron Rumfollow. Uh, but obviously, uh, 99% of all my uh, av geekery content is at Ramcheck Global. And Ryan? You can follow me at Rumfollow Me. <laughs> and uh of course you can always uh find me on instagram at uh, t rum follow that's t-r-u-m-f like fox a-l-l-o 
uh, on uh, on Instagram. So uh, thanks once again to uh, Kid for joining us on the podcast. You still there? Sure am. <laughs> <laughs> Just checking. Sorry, we had to we had to kind of you know dot the i's and cross the t's here before no, the end of the I podcast. But yeah, but thanks, thanks again once for again. Me on. We're happy and we'd love to have you on again. So that's a threat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, Ryan, time time for your send off. Yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Good day. <laughs>